Section 8 of White Knights and Other Stories by Fyodor Dostoevsky. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Notes from Underground by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Translated from the Russian by Constance Garnett. Part 1. Underground. Chapter 7. But these are all golden dreams. Oh, tell me, who was it first announced, who was it first proclaimed, that man only does nasty things because he does not know his own interests, and that if he were enlightened, if his eyes were open to his real normal interests, man would at once cease to do nasty things, would at once become good and noble, because, being enlightened and understanding his real advantage, he would see his own advantage in the good and nothing else. And we all know that not one man can, consciously, act against his own interests. Consequently, so to say, through necessity, he would begin doing good. Oh, the babe! Oh, the pure, innocent child! Why, in the first place, when in all these thousands of years has there been a time when man has acted only from his own interest? What is to be done with the millions of facts that bear witness that men consciously that is, fully understanding their real interests, have left them in the background, and have rushed headlong on another path, to meet peril and danger, compelled to this course by nobody and by nothing but, as it were, simply disliking the beaten track, and have obstinately, willfully struck out another difficult, absurd way, seeking it almost in the darkness. So I suppose this obstinacy and perversity were pleasanter to them than any advantage. Advantage? What is advantage? And will you take it upon yourself to define with perfect accuracy in what the advantage of man consists? And what if it so happens that a man's advantage, sometimes, not only may, but even must, consist in his desiring, in certain cases, what is harmful to himself, and not advantageous? And if so, if there can be such a case, the whole principle falls into dust. What do you think? Are there such cases? You laugh. Laugh away, gentlemen. But only answer me. Have man's advantages been reckoned up with perfect certainty? Are there not some which not only have not been included, but cannot possibly be included under any classification? You see, you gentlemen have, to the best of my knowledge, taking your whole register of human advantages from the averages of statistical figures and politico-economical formulas. Your advantages are prosperity, wealth, freedom, peace, and so on and so on. So that the man who should, for instance, go openly and knowingly in opposition to all that list, would, to your thinking, and indeed mine too, of course, be an obscurantist or an absolute madman would not he? But you know, this is what is surprising. Why does it so happen that all these statisticians, sages, and lovers of humanity, when they reckon up human advantages invariably leave one out? They don't even take it into their reckoning, in the form in which it should be taken, and the whole reckoning depends upon that. It would be no great matter, they would simply have to take it, this advantage, and add it to the list. But the trouble is, that this strange advantage does not fall under any classification, and is not in place in any list. 
I have a friend, for instance. Ech, gentlemen, but of course he is your friend too. And indeed there is no one, no one, to whom he is not a friend. When he prepares for any undertaking, this gentleman immediately explains to you, elegantly and clearly, exactly how he must act in accordance with the laws of reason and truth. What is more, he will talk to you with excitement and passion of the true normal interests of man. With irony he will upbraid the short-sighted fools who do not understand their own interests, nor the true significance of virtue. And within a quarter of an hour, without any sudden outside provocation, but simply through something inside him which is stronger than all his interests, he will go off on quite a different tack. That is, act in direct opposition to what he has just been saying about himself, in opposition to the laws of reason, in opposition to his own advantage, in fact, in opposition to everything. I warn you that my friend is a compound personality, and therefore it is difficult to blame him as an individual. The fact is, gentlemen, it seems there must really exist something that is dearer to almost every man than his greatest advantages. Or, not to be illogical, there is a most advantageous advantage, the very one omitted of which we spoke just now, which is more important and more advantageous than all other advantages, for the sake of which a man, if necessary, is ready to act in opposition to all laws, that is, in opposition to reason, honor, peace, prosperity, in fact, in opposition to all those excellent and useful things, if only he can attain that fundamental, most advantageous advantage, which is dearer to him than all. Yes, but it's advantage all the same, you will retort. But excuse me, I'll make the point clear. And it is not a case of playing upon words. What matters is that this advantage is remarkable from the very fact that it breaks down all our classifications and continually shatters every system constructed by lovers of mankind for the benefit of mankind. In fact, it upsets everything. But before I mention this advantage to you, I want to compromise myself personally, and therefore I boldly declare that all these fine systems, all these theories for explaining to mankind their real normal interests, in order that inevitably striving to pursue these interests, they may at once become good and noble, are in my opinion, so far, mere logical exercises. Yes, logical exercises. Why, to maintain this theory of the regeneration of mankind by means of the pursuit of his own advantage is to my mind almost the same thing as, as to affirm, for instance, following Buckle, that through civilization mankind becomes softer and consequently less bloodthirsty and less fitted for warfare. Logically, it does seem to follow from his arguments. But man has such a predilection for systems and abstract deductions that he is ready to distort the truth intentionally. He is ready to deny the evidence of his senses, only to justify his logic. I take this example because it is the most glaring instance of it. Only look about you. Blood is being spilt in streams, and in the merriest way, as though it were champagne. Take the whole of the nineteenth century in which Buckle lived. Take Napoleon the Great, and also the present one. Take North America, the eternal union. Take the farce of Schleswig-Holstein. And what is it that civilization softens in us? The only gain of civilization for mankind is the greater capacity for variety of sensations 
and absolutely nothing more. And through the development of this many-sidedness, man may come to finding enjoyment in bloodshed. In fact, this has already happened to him. Have you noticed that it is the most civilized gentlemen who have been the subtlest slaughterers, to whom the Attilas and the Stunka Razans could not hold a candle? And if they are not so conspicuous as the Attilas and the Stenka Razans, it is simply because they are so often met with, are so ordinary, and have become so familiar to us. In any case, civilization has made mankind, if not more bloodthirsty, at least more vilely, more loathsomely bloodthirsty. In old days he saw justice in bloodshed, and with his conscience at peace exterminated those he thought proper. Now we do think bloodshed abominable, and yet we engage in this abomination, and with more energy than ever. Which is worse? Decide that for yourselves. They say that Cleopatra, excuse an instance from Roman history, was fond of sticking gold pins into her slave girl's breasts, and derived gratification from their screams and writhings. You will say that that was in the comparatively barbarous times. That these are barbarous times, too, because also, comparatively speaking, pins are stuck in even now, that though man has now learned to see more clearly than in barbarous ages, he is still far from having learnt to act as reason and science would dictate. But yet you are fully convinced that he will be sure to learn, when he gets rid of certain old bad habits, and when common sense and science have completely re-educated human nature, and turned it in a normal direction. You are confident that then men will cease from intentional error, and will, so to say, be compelled not to want to set his will against his normal interests. That is not all. Then you say, science itself will teach man, though to my mind it's a superfluous luxury, that he never really had any caprice or will of his own, and that he himself is something of the nature of a piano key, or the stop of an organ, and that there are, besides things called the laws of nature so that everything he does is not done by his willing it but is done of itself by the laws of nature consequently we have only to discover these laws of nature and man will no longer have to answer for his actions and life will become exceedingly easy for him all human actions will then of course be tabulated according to these laws mathematically like tables of logarithms up to one hundred and eight thousand and entered in an index or better still there would be published certain edifying works of the nature of encyclopedic lexicons in which everything will be so clearly calculated and explained that there will be no more incidents or adventures in the world then this is all what you say new economic relations will be established already made and worked out with mathematical exactitude so that every possible question will vanish in the twinkling of an eye, simply because every possible answer to it will be provided. Then the palace of crystal will be built. Then, in fact, those will be halcyon days. Of course there is no guaranteeing, this is my comment, that it will not be, for instance, frightfully dull then. For what will one have to do when everything will be calculated and tabulated? but on the other hand everything will be extraordinarily irrational of course boredom may lead you to anything it is boredom sets one sticking golden pins into people but all that would not matter what is bad this is my comment again 
is that I dare say people will be thankful for the gold pins then. Man is stupid, you know, phenomenally stupid. Or rather, he is not at all stupid, but he is so ungrateful that you could not find another like him in all creation. I, for instance, would not be in the least surprised if all of a sudden, apropos of nothing, in the midst of general prosperity, a gentleman with an ignoble, or rather, with a reactionary and ironical countenance, were to arise and putting his arms akimbo say to us all i say gentlemen hadn't we better kick over the whole show and scatter rationalism to the winds simply to send these logarithms to the devil and to enable us to live once more at our own sweet foolish will that again would not matter but what is annoying is that he would be sure to find followers such is the nature of man and all that for the most foolish reason which one would think was hardly worth mentioning that is that man everywhere and at all times whoever he may be has preferred to act as he chose and not in the least as his reason and advantage dictated and one may choose what is contrary to one's own interests and sometimes one positively ought that is my idea one's own free unfettered choice one's own caprice however wild it may be one's own fancy worked up at times to frenzy is that very most advantageous advantage which we have overlooked which comes under no classification and against which all systems and theories are continually being shattered to atoms and how do these wiseacres know that man wants a normal a virtuous choice what has made them conceive that man must want a rationally advantageous choice what man wants is simply independent choice whatever that independence may cost and wherever it may lead and choice of course the devil only knows what choice end of chapter seven chapter eight ha 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 but you know there is no such thing as choice in reality say what you like you will interpose with a chuckle science has succeeded in so far analyzing man that we know already that choice and what is called freedom of will is nothing else than stay gentlemen i meant to begin with that myself i confess i was rather frightened i was just going to say that the devil only knows what choice depends on and that perhaps that was a very good thing but i remembered the teaching of science and pulled myself up and here you have begun upon it indeed if there really is some day discovered a formula for all our desires and caprices that is an explanation of what they depend upon by what laws they arise how they develop what they are aiming at in one case and in another and so on that is a real mathematical formula then most likely man will at once cease to feel desire indeed he will be certain to for who would want to choose by rule besides he will at once be transformed from a human being into an organ stop or something of the sort for what is a man without desires without free will and without choice if not a stop in an organ what do you think let us reckon the chances can such a thing happen or not hmm you decide our choice is usually mistaken from a false view of our advantage we sometimes choose absolute nonsense because in our foolishness we see in that nonsense the easiest means for attaining a supposed advantage 
but when all that is explained and worked out on paper which is perfectly possible for it is contemptible and senseless to suppose that some laws of nature man will never understand then certainly so-called desires will no longer exist for if a desire should come into conflict with reason we shall then reason and not desire because it will be impossible retaining our reason to be senseless in our desires and in that way knowingly act against reason and desire to injure ourselves and as all choice and reasoning can be really calculated because there will some day be discovered the laws of our so-called free will so joking apart there may one day be something like a table constructed of them so that we really shall choose in accordance with it if for instance some day they calculate and prove to me that i made a long nose at someone because i could not help making a long nose at him and that i had to do it in that particular way what freedom is left me especially if i am a learned man and have taken my degree somewhere then i should be able to calculate my whole life for thirty years beforehand in short if this could be arranged there would be nothing left for us to do anyway we should have to understand that and in fact we ought unwearyingly to repeat to ourselves that at such and such a time and in such and such circumstances nature does not ask our leave that we have got to take her as she is and not fashion her to suit our fancy and if we really aspire to formulas and tables of rules and well even to the chemical retort there's no help for it we must accept the retort too or else it will be accepted without our consent yes but here i come to a stop gentlemen you must excuse me for being over philosophical it's the result of forty years underground allow me to indulge my fancy you see gentlemen reason is an excellent thing there's no disputing that but reason is nothing but reason and satisfies only the rational side of man's nature while will is a manifestation of the whole life that is of the whole human life including reason and all the impulses and although our life in this manifestation of it is often worthless yet it is life and not simply extracting square roots here i for instance quite naturally want to live in order to satisfy all my capacities for life and not simply my capacity for reasoning that is not simply one-twentieth of my capacity for life what does reason know reason only knows what it has succeeded in learning some things perhaps it will never learn this is a poor comfort but why not say so frankly and human nature acts as a whole with everything that is in it consciously or unconsciously and even if it goes wrong it lives i suspect gentlemen that you are looking at me with compassion you tell me again that an enlightened and developed man such in short as the future man will be cannot consciously desire anything disadvantageous to himself that that can be proved mathematically i thoroughly agree it can by mathematics but i repeat for the hundredth time there is one case one only when man may consciously purposely desire what is injurious to himself what is stupid very stupid simply in order to have the right to desire for himself even what is very stupid and not to be bound by an obligation to desire only what is sensible of course this very stupid thing this caprice of ours may be in reality gentlemen more advantageous for us than anything else on earth especially in certain cases and in particular it may be more advantageous than any advantage 
even when it does us obvious harm, and contradicts the soundest conclusions of our reason concerning our advantage. For in any circumstances, it preserves for us what is most precious and most important, that is, our personality, our individuality. Some, you see, maintain that this really is the most precious thing for mankind. Choice can, of course, if it chooses, be in agreement with reason, and especially if this is not abused, but kept within bounds. It is profitable and sometimes even praiseworthy, but very often, and even most often, choice is utterly and stubbornly opposed to reason. And, and, do you know that that too is profitable, sometimes even praiseworthy? Gentlemen, let us suppose that man is not stupid. Indeed, one cannot refuse to suppose that, if only from one consideration, that if man is stupid, then who is wise? But if he is not stupid, he is monstrously ungrateful, phenomenally ungrateful. In fact, I believe that the best definition of man is the ungrateful biped. But that is not all. That is not his worst defect. His worst defect is his perpetual moral obliquity. Perpetual, from the days of the flood to the Schleswig-Holstein period. Moral obliquity, and consequently lack of good sense, for it has long been accepted that lack of good sense is due to no other cause than moral obliquity. Put it to the test, and cast your eyes upon the history of mankind. What will you see? Is it a grand spectacle? Grand if you like. Take the Colossus of Rhodes, for instance. That's worth something. With good reason, Mr. Anayevsky testifies of it that some say that it is the work of man's hands, while others maintain that it has been created by nature herself. Is it many-colored? Maybe it is many-colored, too. If one takes the dress uniforms, military and civilian, of all peoples in all ages, that alone is worth something. And if you take the undress uniforms, you will never get to the end of it. No historian would be equal to the job. Is it monotonous? Maybe it's monotonous too. It's fighting and fighting. They are fighting now. They fought first, and they fought last. You will admit that it is almost too monotonous. In short, one may say anything about the history of the world, anything that might enter the most disordered imagination. The only thing one can't say is that it's rational. The very word sticks in one's throat. And indeed, this is the odd thing that is continually happening. There are continually turning up in life moral and rational persons, sages and lovers of humanity, who make it their object to live all their lives as morally and rationally as possible, to be, so to speak, a light to their neighbors, simply in order to show them that it is possible to live morally and rationally in this world. And yet we all know that those very people, sooner or later, have been false to themselves, playing some queer trick, often a most unseemly one. Now I ask you, what can be expected of man, since he is a being endowed with such strange qualities? Shower upon him every earthly blessing, drown him in a sea of happiness, so that nothing but bubbles of bliss can be seen on the surface. Give him economic prosperity, such that he should have nothing else to do but sleep, eat cakes, and busy himself with the continuation of his species, and even then, out of sheer ingratitude, sheer spite, man would play you some nasty trick. 
he would even risk his cakes and would deliberately desire the most fatal rubbish the most uneconomical absurdity simply to introduce into all this positive good sense his fatal fantastic element it is just his fantastic dreams his vulgar folly that he will desire to retain simply in order to prove to himself as though that were so necessary that men still are men and not the keys of a piano which the laws of nature threaten to control so completely that soon one will be able to desire nothing but by the calendar and that is not all even if man really were nothing but a piano key even if this were proved to him by natural science and mathematics even then he would not become reasonable but would purposely do something perverse out of simple ingratitude simply to gain his point and if he does not find means he will contrive destruction and chaos will contrive sufferings of all sorts only to gain his point he will launch a curse upon the world and as only man can curse it is his privilege the primary distinction between him and other animals maybe by his curse alone he will attain his object that is convince himself that he is a man and not a piano key if you say that all this too can be calculated and tabulated chaos and darkness and curses so that the mere possibility of calculating it all beforehand would stop it all and reason would reassert itself then man would purposely go mad in order to be rid of reason and gain his point i believe in it i answer for it for the whole work of man really seems to consist in nothing but proving to himself every minute that he is a man and not a piano key it may be at the cost of his skin it may be by cannibalism and this being so can one help being tempted to rejoice that it has not yet come off and that desire still depends on something we don't know you will scream at me that is if you condescend to do so that no one is touching my free will that all they are concerned with is that my will should of itself of its own free will coincide with my own normal interests with the laws of nature and arithmetic good heavens gentlemen what sort of free will is left when we come to tabulation and arithmetic when it all will be a case of twice two makes four twice two makes four without my will as if free will meant that end of chapter eight